Welcome to Sound Solutions, a series of free audio tapes produced by Braille Institute of America. The tape you are listening to and all the others in the series provide practical information to adults and their families who are dealing with sight loss. The professional staff and many of the students at Braille Institute collaborated to provide the information, tips, and practical solutions to living life independently in spite of sight loss. As you listen to The Unseen Ingredient, think about the ways you can apply the techniques that are presented. You may want to enlist the help of a sighted friend or family member to help you get started. Remember, the goal is to discover ways to live life as independently as possible. We believe you can do it. My friends, my friends, welcome once again to The Unseen Ingredient, the cooking show that gives you the secrets of the world's master chefs. I'm your host, Julian Kidd. The title of our show usually refers to that special seasoning or flavoring that makes a dish unforgettable. Frankly, it's usually tarragon, but The Unseen Ingredient sounds better. Anyway, today's show brings a new meaning to The Unseen Ingredient, my guest today is Miss Margie Bozak. Miss Bozak teaches a class on adaptive cooking techniques for people with visual loss. Welcome, Margie. Thanks, Julian. Great to be here. Margie, let's start by explaining to our listeners that term, adaptive cooking. What does that mean? When a person's sight becomes limited, many people fear that they'll be unable to cook at all. For some, this would mean a loss of self-reliance. For others, it would mean the loss of a treasured hobby. But... Learning a few new concepts and skills can make that person feel more independent and confident in the kitchen. The final goal in cooking is always a well-made meal and a satisfied cook. There are many ways to achieve this. Or, as we say in the chef biz, there's more than one way to bone a chicken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, being comfortable and at ease in the kitchen, with a special emphasis on safety, is the surest way to achieve this goal. Sometimes I like to think of it as re-adaptive cooking. Re-adaptive? Yes. We all learn to cook at some point in our lives. <laughs> we weren't born cooking. I was. You've heard of being born with a silver spoon? Well, I had a platinum spatula. <laughs> they say my first words were, it's good formula, but it could use some vanilla. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> but most of us had to learn our way around the kitchen. A cook who loses vision still has a lifetime of experience and knowledge to utilize. To be comfortable in the kitchen with visual loss does take some adjusting and adapting. Learning to take our time, learning to utilize our other senses more efficiently, learning some new methods and techniques. But we still have the knowledge we've always had. It's a matter of relearning or re-adapting. I see. Uh, you mentioned an emphasis on safety. Is that where this kind of training begins? Absolutely. The first step on the road to safety in the kitchen is slowing down and concentrating. Tasks that may have felt automatic before need to be given more attention and care. <laughs> the truth is, accidents occur because of carelessness, whether the cook is blind or sighted. 
I always tell my students the first rule is slow down. Oh, can I tell you that's good advice even for sighted people. I get going so fast sometimes and not paying attention to what I'm doing. Once I served a booyah base and one of the guests found a pen cap on a mussel shell. Oh my! Well, I kid, I kid, but believe me, I've had my share of troubles. Slowing down can prevent many accidents. Even little things like mismeasuring can ruin an entire meal. That's right. There are special notched or marked measuring cups made for cooks with vision loss, but even those won't help if you're in too much of a hurry. Taking time and being careful with each step helps keep you safe and makes you more comfortable. Yes, but even going as slow as escargot, <laughs> accidents will still happen, won't they? Of course. So here are some other good safety tips to use in the kitchen. Use a tray for your cooking preparations to avoid spills. Oh, so all of your measuring and pouring are done on a tray. Right. It makes cleanup much easier, keeps things from spilling onto the floor where they can cause slips and falls, and even helps conserve excess ingredients like flour and spices. For pouring into cups, place the cup in the sink. That way, any spills can be rinsed away easily as well. Ah,、uh, now would I use that tray for cutting too? No. Most trays are metal and can damage your knife edge, or worse yet, cause tiny metal shavings to get into your food. Oh! Always cut on a wooden or plastic cutting board, but get one that has funneled edges to help prevent dropping and spilling. Oh! You know, I think I'm going to start doing that myself. Another good safety tip is to use as many unbreakable items as possible, like plastic glasses. And try to purchase food items in plastic containers rather than glass. Well, what about knives, though? I, I don't think filleting a salmon with a plastic knife would work too well. <laughs> no, I don't either. Good knives are pretty essential to most cooking. I'll say, most big-time professional chefs carry their own personal set of knives. I do. It's like a professional pool player carrying his own cue. I'm just like Paul Newman in The Hustler. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mr. Newman knew to keep his cue safe and protected in that black carrying case. Keeping knives in knife covers in the drawer is a good idea, or or a knife holder that covers the blades, like those wooden block types of holders. Yes. When your knives are dirty, place them behind the faucet until you're ready to wash them. Then dry them immediately and return to the holder or the drawer. Hmm. What about Burns? George Burns was he in the Hustler? <laughs> okay, Margie. <laughs> It's my show. I'll do the jokes. Fair enough, Julian. <laughs> okay. About Burns, when using the stove or oven, wearing oven mitts is always a good idea. You know, barbecue mitts are longer and provide more protection. But even regular mitts are better to use than pot holders, which can easily slip and turn. Good point. A push-pull stick can also be helpful. Oh, I love that push-pull stick game. I, I also like the one with the wooden blocks you try to pull out without toppling the tower. Although, why we're talking about party games, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> no, Julian. Push-pull sticks are long wooden sticks with hooks on the end. They're used for moving oven racks or hot dishes to avoid burns. Oh, well, it sounds like it could also be a good party game. <laughs> So, any more safety tips, Margie, or shall we dive right into cooking? I know a recipe for shrimp with ginger sauce that will absolutely set you free. All of this is really about safety, Julian. But keep that recipe in the back of your mind. I'm crazy about ginger. Oh, me too, and it's so good for you. But anyway, more safety, more safety. The next step in being safe is organizing the kitchen. The best way to start organizing is to eliminate and discard worn and chipped dishes. They can cause cuts and scrapes. People should also get rid of any duplicates, from casserole dishes to utensils to appliances. 
and throw away any outdated equipment or food. Oh, you mean like that old blender that hasn't worked in twenty years? Exactly. Items that you don't need interfere when you're looking for what you do need. Well, but what about things I want to keep but that I don't use very often, like my genuine '70s lime green fondue pot? Relocate them. Seasonal pans and dishes like Christmas china and the turkey roasting pan, or rarely used items like good china and crystal, should be stored in an out-of-the-way place so you don't have to move it or work around it to get to the things you use daily. Say, Margie, wouldn't the same principle apply to cupboards? Spice cabinets are always filled with old and unused things. I've got a jar of marjoram that I'm sure came from World War II. <laughs> get rid of it. Eliminate all the seldom-used spices and foods. A few combination spices like lemon pepper and Italian seasoning are usually all you need. Oh, I use lemon pepper a lot. Can I tell you, I make a lemon pepper chicken that would make you weep. <laughs> the spices you use most frequently should be kept near where they'll be used. Maybe even right next to the stove.、Mm. But you mentioned cupboards a moment ago, Julian. Yes. Cupboards and drawers should also be reorganized and labeled. Reorganized how? Using dividers, extra shelves, and containers in drawers and cupboards makes things easier to find. For example, use a divider in the utensil drawer to make a special place for your handheld can opener. Then always put the can opener in its place. Again, place things as close to where they'll be used as possible. Labeling also keeps things organized. You know, I have my spice rack labeled so I can tell what spice I'm reaching for without pulling each little bottle out. Is that the kind of thing you mean? That's right. All foods, drawers, cupboards, and shelves should be labeled, even in the fridge and freezer. That way, you'll know what you have. And you know, labels would also let other people, sighted friends and relatives who may be helping out in the kitchen, know where to put or or to return things. Good point, Julian. Well, I'm not just a whiz with a wire whip. Is there a particular <laughs> way to label these things, Margie? Several ways, depending on the needs of the chef. Standard file labels can work, although most people prefer large print labels. If the chef reads Braille, a Dymo label maker makes wonderful Braille labels. And you know, speaking of labels and print and things, I'd like my listeners to know that many wonderful cookbooks are available in large print,、uh, in Braille, or even on tape as talking books. And if those are helpful to you, get a friend to help you make some large print cards of your own recipes. Many people cover the cards in plastic to keep spills and things from ruining them. Oh, can I tell you the way I spill things and the messes I make? I should be covered in plastic. <laughs> so, what's the next topic on our adaptive cooking agenda? As you know, Julian, many of the accidents that occur in the kitchen occur around or on the stove. I thought we could discuss some alternative cooking methods, like microwave ovens. Oh, it's an excellent alternative. There's no direct heat source, so the danger of burns or fire are almost eliminated. Although, since the microwave itself doesn't get hot, it's easy to forget that the food gets very hot. Oh, I got such a burn from some frozen fish sticks one night. True, the food does get very hot, and you have to be careful of steam and such. But microwaves are easy to use and effective. The buttons or dials are easily marked by raised dots or Braille overlays for identification. Well, now, what kind of identification are we talking about? Generally, the raised dots or Braille are used to mark various settings on the oven or stove. Most people place marks on low, medium, and high. Sometimes the cook simply learns to listen to or feel the clicks the dials make, or or they put a raised dot on one end of the dial and learn to adjust it by the position of the dot. I see. Many people also use a small countertop toaster oven. Like microwaves, they often have timers built right into them, which can be very helpful. 
Toaster ovens can be used for everything from making toast to heating prepared or frozen foods. Speaking of which, using prepared foods or preparing your own foods in large quantities and freezing what you don't use immediately. Is another alternative to cooking. Oh yes, I like to make a big pan of lasagna and divide it into single servings and freeze the whole thing. That way, I can have some by myself, or I can use as many servings as I have guests. That goes back to labeling. Frozen food can be easily identified by placing a large print index card in a baggie and attaching it to your frozen items. The card can not only identify what the frozen food is, but also hold cooking instructions.、Mm. When it's time to heat it up, just remove the card and toss it in the microwave for a few minutes. Yes, and often a simple little touch will keep the meal from feeling like warmed-up leftovers. Like my lasagna, for example, sprinkling a little fresh grated parmesan on the top in the last few minutes makes it seem that much fresher and newly made, and it's delicious. Do you make vegetarian lasagna? Usually, yes. Big chunks of zucchini and mushroom, tomato, of course. Mwah, magnifique.、Mm. Uh, once in a while, I'll put in some Italian sausage. A great choice for adaptive cooking. Really? Why? Well, ground beef has to be browned before putting it in the lasagna. Sausages can cook with the lasagna, so you don't have to use the stove. It's one less dish to clean, and you won't get burned by spattering grease. Of course, you know another way to avoid using the stove is by simplifying recipes, like using raw onions instead of browning them for, say, beef stroganoff. <laughs> the easiest thing to do is not cook at all and have your food delivered. Not cook? <laughs> I'm going to pretend I didn't hear you say that. Sorry, Julian. <laughs> of course, getting food delivered can get expensive, and the most readily available delivery foods. Pizza and Chinese food are often loaded with fat, salt, and sugar, and aren't as healthy as fresh foods. In short, my friends, don't be afraid to use the stove or oven, using appropriate care, but explore ways to minimize your use to maximize your safety. And we have a caller. Welcome to the unseen ingredient. Hello, Julian. Yes, hello. What's your name, dear? Nelly. And where are you calling from, Nelly? Tempe, Arizona. Okay, Nelly from Tempe. I'm thinking southwestern. I'm thinking a little Tex-Mex thing, but with a twist, like、uh, a, a Cajun chicken quesadilla with guava salsa. <laughs> Bullseye, Julian. That's incredible. Excuse me. Oh, oh. Oh, you've never heard the show, have you, Margie? Uh, no. I'm usually teaching at this hour. Ah, well, this is a little game I play here on the show. The caller gives me their name and city, and I try to guess their favorite food, or at least a dish that sounds like something they'd like. Wow, that's amazing. It's a gift. So, Nelly, what's your question today? I've been blind for a few years now, so I've gotten pretty good at getting around my kitchen, and I'm pretty comfortable with cooking. That's great. Thanks, but I'm used to cooking just for myself or for me and a friend. Uh huh. Well, I joined this reading group a few months ago. We meet at a different member's home for dinner once a month and discuss books. Oh, it sounds fun! I did a Shakespeare dinner party once. All foods mentioned in Shakespeare plays. Some people thought I was stretching it with Cleopatra's aspic. Oh. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry, Nelly. Go on. 
Well, it's my turn to host, and I'm a little nervous about cooking for that many people. Ah, I can help you there. For entertaining or for a holiday meal, always try to prepare as many items as possible beforehand. Some things can be fully prepared ahead of time and frozen, like the lasagna I was talking about earlier. But you can also do a lot of measuring or peeling or chopping a day or two prior to your soiree. This lowers the pressure on you and helps ensure that everything is ready at the desired time. Julian's exactly right, and this applies to all your cooking. Being well organized and doing as much preparation beforehand keeps mistakes from happening and helps keep you relaxed, so you can really enjoy cooking the meal. Take your time and plan well. I'd also suggest keeping your meal simple, especially since it's the first time you're entertaining. Absolutely, I'm just planning a big salad, baked chicken breasts, fresh green beans, and rice pilaf, and cookies for dessert. Here's a tip for your cookies. Try to use a recipe that can be made in a pan or rolled into balls by hand, as opposed to drop cookies. Pan or rolled cookies make it easy to use your sense of touch to determine the size of the cookies and their placement on the cookie sheet. Well, good luck, Nelly. You make sure and call back and let us know how it went. I sure will. Thank you so much, Julian. Thanks, Margie. No, thank you for calling. Okay, next caller. You're on the unseen ingredient. Julian, I just love your show. My, you have good taste. What's your name? Sally. <laughs> I'm from Grants Pass, Oregon. Okay, Sally from Grants Pass. Hmm, it's something warm. Uh, a soup. I'll, I'll say tomato bisque with lightly peppered shrimp. Well, kind of close. <laughs> Beef stew. Beef stew. Okay, so your taste isn't as good as I thought. I kid, I kid. What's your question today, Sally? Well, I'm not blind, but my downstairs neighbor is. I don't know her well, but I remember this one time she was going to fry some eggs, and she picked up pledge instead of Pam and sprayed it in the frying pan. It stunk something awful. It kind of made me afraid for her. Living by herself and all. Anyway, she doesn't do that stuff anymore, and I'm wondering how she manages. How does she know what she's picking up and where things are? I'll field that one, Julian, if you don't mind. Not at all. Thanks. Hi, Sally. To answer your question, your neighbor must have learned some of those organizational techniques that we mentioned earlier. Most of them are very simple. The pam and the pledge were more likely to come in cans that were roughly the same size and shape. A common way to distinguish is by placing a rubber band around one, like putting a rubber band around the milk carton to distinguish it from the carton of orange juice. There's many other good identification techniques, like keeping canned fruits on one shelf and canned vegetables on another. Various kinds of labeling are also used. Foods are often kept in alphabetical order.、Uh, excuse me, Margie, but the kind of labeling and organization you're talking about also helps keep the cook aware of what he's got and how fresh the various items are. I used some milk that had turned in a casserole one time. Yikes! I'd rather eat pledge scrambled eggs. I can tell you. Yuck! <laughs> so, Sally, did we answer your question? Yes, but I have another. Shoot. Well, <laughs> take last night for instance. I was chopping vegetables for a cob salad, and I got distracted for just a second and gave myself a really bad cut. 
So I'm wondering if you know any tricks to help me keep from cutting myself. Excellent question. There are many alternatives.、Uh, excuse me, Margie, but whose show is this anyway? <laughs> Sorry, Julian. Go for it. Thank you. Excellent question. There are many alternatives to cutting and chopping, Sally. Like, well, like,、uh, you want to field this one, Margie? <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> many food products can be purchased already cut. Diced, chopped, or grated, and ready for use. That's just what I was going to say. Uh huh. <laughs> There are also other methods for cutting, such as a food chopper or a food processor are very helpful. Even scissors are often useful. Even preferable for some things like chicken. You know, many recipes call for hand shredded chicken or beef, like enchiladas. Right. <laughs> or beef stew. You just had to rub my nose in that beef stew, didn't you, Sally? <laughs> You know, using your hands and fingers to break up food works just as well as cutting or chopping. Even vegetables and fruits can usually be torn or pulled apart sufficiently for most recipes. That's right, Julian. But when using a knife is required, make sure to keep the knife blade away from your fingers and develop your own method of safe cutting. One method is to lay the blade on its side and use it as a guide for the width of your cut. That way, if you're cutting, uh, oh, say a carrot for soup, it'll help make all your pieces the same size. But as always, slow and steady is the way to go. Does that answer your question, Sally? Yes, it did completely. Thank you so much, Julian. No, thank you for calling the unseen ingredient today. Now, Margie, we talked about a tray or the sink for measuring and pouring. I would think that's useful not only for measuring cups, but for pouring all beverages into cups or glasses. Sure, but how can people know when the cup or glass is full? Well, the most common way is by using your finger to feel the level of liquid in the glass or cup. Really? Remember, Julian, it doesn't hurt food to touch it if your hands are clean. Using your fingers and your sense of touch can be the best substitute for your eyes in the kitchen. Using your sense of touch, you can tell if the pie crust or pizza dough is smooth, whether the frosting covers the entire cake, or if the brownie dough is level in the pan. Excellent. And in terms of liquid, cold liquids are easier to feel than those at room temperature. For hot beverages, I recommend a liquid level indicator. It's a device you place in the cup or glass, which beeps or buzzes when the liquid reaches the desired level. Really good tips, Margie. Ah, we have another caller. Welcome to the unseen ingredient. Hello. What's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Jackie, and I'm calling from Spearfish, South Dakota. Oh, garden spot of the Black Hills. That's right, and only thirty-seven miles from Waldrug. Okay, Jackie from Spearfish, thirty-seven miles from Waldrug. I'm thinking hills. I'm getting hearty. I'll say. I'll say London broil with scalloped potatoes. Well, I love scalloped potatoes, but my favorite food is swordfish. Oh, of course, spearfish, swordfish. Oh, I could just kick myself. So, Jackie, what can we do for you today? Well, first, I'd like to thank you so much for doing this program today. I'm partially sighted, and in a small town like Spearfish, there aren't any blind service organizations, so it's hard for me to get this kind of information. It's really helpful, and I'm very grateful. Not at all, Jackie. I'm glad you're finding the program so useful. Oh yes. And your question? Two questions, really. Sorry, only one question per caller. What? I kid, I kid. That's why they call me Julian Kid, Jackie. What are your questions? 
First, I have trouble using my timer. I heard you talking about braille overlays and using raised dots as markings on the microwave earlier, but my kitchen timer is too small for that to work well for me. Any ideas, Margie? Well, Jackie, your best bet is to replace your timer. There are large numeral timers available. Check some of those mail order catalogs we all get so many of. You might find them there. There are also talking timers available. Oh, and I just learned about a really handy little gadget for visually impaired cooks. Without the sense of sight, it can be very difficult to tell when water is boiling. There's a product called Boil Alert. It's a small tempered glass ball. You put it in your pan of water, and as the water starts to boil, the glass ball makes a loud rattling sound, letting you know the water's ready. Contact a blind service organization in a larger city close to you for help in finding these items. That's sensational. And you had another question, Jackie. Yes. Even with partial sight, I have trouble with mixing. Either I slop the stuff up over the side of the bowl, or I can't tell if it's thoroughly mixed and end up with lumpy cake batter or something. Can you help me with that? The first thing I'd recommend is to make sure you have good, strong lighting in the kitchen. Next, if you're mixing something dark, like chocolate cake or brownies, use a light-colored mixing bowl. If you're mixing something light, like pancake batter or a cream sauce, oh, you're making me hungry. Use a dark-colored bowl. And as for the lumps, Jackie, just remember: forever mix, never worry. When you think you've mixed something for too long, mix it for another ten seconds. And again, don't be afraid to use your fingers to check the smoothness of your batter. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, Margie. I'm gonna go to the kitchen right now and get out my white mixing bowl and make a chocolate cake. Mmm. Oh, chocolate cake is my favorite. As my grandma used to say, "If it ain't chocolate, it ain't dessert." Thanks for calling, Jackie. Thank you. Bye now. Now, washing your hands thoroughly before starting to cook is, of course, important for everyone. But, as Margie suggests, your hands and fingers could now be coming into more direct contact with your food. All the more important to wash them well and regularly throughout your cooking process. But make sure you rinse well, or you'll end up serving a custard with soap bubbles on top.、Mm. And as long as you brought up cleaning, Julian, I'd like to say a little bit about that, okay? But of course, as you said, everyone knows how important cleanliness is in the kitchen. For people with vision loss, it's even more important. Cleanliness not only helps to ensure the healthiness of your food. It helps keep you organized and aware of everything that's going on in the kitchen. It also keeps you from misplacing things, so you can find them when you need them. As soon as you're done with a bowl or a measuring cup or a spatula, rinse it thoroughly. Use a little dish soap if you need to, and wipe the countertops surrounding your work area frequently. Yes, cutting boards are especially notorious places for germs and bacteria, largely because most of them are wood, and tiny food particles can get trapped in the wood grain. I always wash my cutting board before I start to prepare a meal and after. I use good hot soapy water and a nylon scrub brush, and then I rinse it well and dry it. It's always the last thing I clean. After all the dishes are done, the stove and counter are wiped, and the leftovers wrapped and put away. And unfortunately, it's time for us to be wrapped and put away like so many leftovers. 
Until tomorrow at the same time, I'd like to thank my guest, Margie Bozak, for all the helpful tips for our listeners with vision loss and for showing our sighted listeners some sides to both vision loss and cooking that they may never have been aware of before. Thank you, Margie. Oh, my pleasure, Julian. It was fun. Thanks also to all of our callers and to all of you listeners out there. Join me tomorrow on The Unseen Ingredient when I'll be attempting that greatest cooking challenge of all, the souffle. Abondanza! You've been listening to The Unseen Ingredient, one of the audio tapes in the series Sound Solutions. We hope you found the information helpful for you, your family, and friends. These tapes are available free of charge from Braille Institute, a private, non-profit organization committed to eliminating blindness and severe sight loss as a barrier to the fulfillment of life. Sound Solutions was made possible by the generosity of the H.N. and Francis Berger Foundation, the Fritz B. Burns Foundation, and from thousands of individuals. If you would like more information about anything you heard in this tape, about other tapes in the series, or about Braille Institute, please call our toll-free number, 1-800-BRAILLE. That's 1-800-272-4553. Thank you for listening to Braille Institute's Sound Solutions.